So the title of my message this morning is Suffering and Eternity. Suffering and Eternity. How many of you would like to hear from God this morning? Okay. I want you to pray after me. Lord, please speak to my heart. Amen. Okay. So the message that I've, I, I feel like, well, I believe God has given me to, to share this morning is a hard message to share. It's a hard message to share. It's a hard message to hear, I think. But I've had it on my heart. I feel like God wants the church to grow up. You know, sometimes as parents, we have, when you have um, kind of like a tween or a teenager, you know when they get to that age where they've got like an entitlement mentality? Are you, do you know what I'm talking about? It's almost like you as parents owe them something. Okay, and, some, and a lot of kids today, the millennials, they have that in, uh, mentality, that kind of like entitlement mentality. They're entitled to this. They're entitled to that. They're entitled to a cell phone. Amen. They're entitled. You know, they're entitled to go out and stay out until they want. There, there's an entitlement mentality. The Lord was just showing me that His church, the charismatic church, a large portion of us find ourselves in that same space like a teenager mentality as the church. And he wants us to grow up into maturity. We have an entitlement mentality, many of us. We, and and as, as leaders, church leaders, we also need to take responsibility for where we have preached a message uh, and we've leaned too much in prosperity and grace. And we haven't instructed God's church according to the full counsel of his word. You see, if we teach uh, uh, and preach a message that consists of coming to church is about you getting your breakthrough. It's about you getting a fat bank account. It's about you fulfilling your heart's dreams. And you know what, honey? You can be anything you want to be. You can do anything you want to do. That's a lie. That's a lie. Okay? And I'm going to explain why. When we teach that, then we, we breed a Christian that is weak. We breed a Christian that has an entitlement mentality. And I don't, we don't want to be weak Christians in this church. Amen. How many of you want to be strong? You want to be mature? I want to be able to stand when the going gets tough. I don't want to have that entitlement mentality. And many of us this year have gone through something difficult. Some people have lost loved ones. We've, we've all, who are part of this church, lost a leader in the church, Pastor Tuffy. Very painful for Gracious and her four children. Very painful. And I'm not belittling that. And some people, we go through things and we don't understand it. Why is my child sick? Why will he? I've prayed for him, Lord. I've prayed for him and he's still not getting better. What is, I don't understand. We don't understand everything, do we? We don't. When we find ourselves in situations where we're suffering, where we've lost someone or something dear to us, maybe it's a relationship, maybe it's a marriage, when we've gone through some type of trauma, that's an opportune moment for the enemy to come in if we're not careful. And those are moments where we get to choose. We have to choose carefully our attitude. We have to choose carefully who we listen to, what we listen to. Amen. So at this time in the church, it's an opportune time to reevaluate, to take stock of our lives, to take stock of our relationships, of our beliefs, to take stock of how we're living, why we're living, and what we're living for. Because as we've seen, life is short. 
Amen. You never know when your time is up. You never know when your spouse's time is up. And we need to be prepared. There have been a couple of instances in my life where I can say, that really defined me. That really made me think about life. Really um, made me sort of like set the course that I was going to walk from there. And one of them was when Daniel, our youngest child, was about three or four days old. It was November 2009. And um, I just got home from the hospital. And a very dear family friend, I got a call. A very good friend of my dad's, he was um, an engineer. He was working in the south of Joburg and Vereniging. And he used to work with, you know, that big earth-moving equipment, you know? And um, he was standing behind one of those big ones with those, you know, those big, round, heavy, flattening wheels. I'm sorry, guys, I'm not, <laughs> I'm not an engineer. And they've got those things that break up the land. They use them even on roads and stuff to flatten roads, big, heavy equipment. And he'd been knocked down and partially run over by one of those things. And um, my dad arrived on the scene, and I think that was just God's grace. My dad happened to be going to see him that day. My dad arrived on the scene a few minutes after it happened. I just think that's God's providence. My dad said his eyes were sticking out of his skull like golf balls. And um, his skull was partially crushed. His one side of his body was partially crushed. His, his ribs were crushed. They were in, they'd gone, pierced his lungs. Like literally, he couldn't see. His eyes were big. And he just, he said to my dad, you know, basically, this is me. I've, I'm tickets. Cheers. He basically said goodbye to my dad because he thought he was, he was going to die. They air, my dad, you know, they called the guys from the hospital. They airlifted him to, um, hospital in Joburg, and yet he was in hospital for months and months and months, and he had facial reconstruction, and, and he survived. He's now in a wheelchair. He's paralyzed. He's been paralyzed for 10 years. He's blind in his one eye, but you know what? He survived. He doesn't look the same, but he survived, and you know what? At that moment, I remember when I heard the news was shocking. You know when it just shocks you? Like, how can this be, you know? Just shocked, and I remember thinking, sure, Seeing all his family flying in from the UK, all his, his they didn't know if he was going to survive. And there he is lying on the back, on his back in hospital, multiple surgeries ahead of him, touch and go in ICU. Is he going to live? Is he not going to live? And I thought to myself, at that moment, picture yourself in, in his shoes. At that moment, what is most important to you? What is most important? What do you think about? Your family. You think about relationships. You think about your marriage. You don't think about your work. You don't, do you? You won't think about your work. You won't think about your boss unless you are really close to your boss. You won't think about whether you got that car that was your dream car, whether you got that holiday home at the beach. You won't even, that will be the last thing on your mind, right? And I remember when that, I remember just thinking to myself, you know what, financially, my husband and I were very tight then. It was very difficult for us. And some things had happened, and we'd lost quite a bit. And, and I remember making a decision. I had Daniel as a baby. I had Samuel and Jade, and they were very young boys. And I thought to myself, you know what, Lord? Life is short. And there were opportunities. I'm a pharmacist. I've got a master's in pharmacy. I had multiple opportunities to go and work, like go and work far away and make a lot of cash. But I just said, Lord, you know what? I don't want to delegate my most precious children to someone else to raise and I go and I spend my whole 
week all week away from my family. And then what happens if one day when I die, I'll regret that, right? And so there were times when we finished paying our maid that she would feel sorry for us and buy milk for us because we didn't have milk. There were times when we would have beans every day during the week because we didn't have money for anything else. But you know what? I don't regret that. Because I did what I felt God was saying to me right then. He's like, you know what? You raise your kids. You mother your kids. This is what I've called you to do in this season. You be faithful to this because this is the thing that has eternal value. And don't worry about the rest. And no, we're not in the same place today financially. But you know what? I'm glad I did that. I didn't regret that. And I'm talking about times like this, like Pastor Tuffy has passed away. It's a time where we can be shocked into the realization of, you know what? What am I living for? Am I living for eternity or am I living for this life? Because this life is really short compared to eternity. Amen. Now, as I go further in this message, I really want you to listen and reflect whether or not you were affected by Pastor Tuffy's death. Maybe you didn't know and maybe you're a visitor, you know. But at the end of the day, each one of us will go through trauma. Each one of us will go through loss. Amen. Each one of us will go through difficult times. And this message is for you. So whether it's a loss of a family member, whether it's someone who's sick, something you don't understand, please listen up because this message is relevant for all of us. All of us live in a fallen world. Amen. Okay, now the reality is that bad things happen to good people. You know, sometimes when something bad, terrible happens to someone and you think, but that person, that person was so committed at church. They were an amazing person. Lord, why did they get cancer and die? How can that happen? You know, we think like that. But you know what? Bad things happen to good people. And you know why? Because we live in a fallen world. Because we live in a fallen world. And there are times in life when we will have unanswered questions. There are times in life when we may feel like our theology and our picture of God is shaken. There are times like that. There are times when we'll question, we sit back and question. But it's important that we don't question the things that shouldn't be questioned. We can't question the Word of God. The Word of God is infallible. Amen. Sorry, the Word of God is infallible. Okay. But we can question our understanding of the word. Okay, maybe we don't understand it in its entirety. Dig deeper in the word. We can't question God's nature because God is unchanging. My understanding of him may change, but God is unchanging and he's good. Amen. When things happen, we can't allow it to paralyze our faith. You know, last week, I woke up in the morning, and I felt this crushing, crushing heaviness. And sometimes God lets me feel things for the church. But sometimes I have to be careful because I don't know if it's for me to pray through, whether it's for me personally or whether it's for the church. How many of you are prophetic or you pray? You know that, right? It happens. We have to know, we're able to know who it's for. But I felt this crushing heaviness on my heart, and I didn't understand it. And then my husband even picked it up. He's like, yes, you're heavy. What's? I'm like, I don't know. It's like crushing. And I came into church, and that same heaviness was over the church in the morning. And I'm like, okay, I understand. It's for the church. I'm praying. I'm praying. I come up on stage. I begin to hear that there are questions in the hearts of people. I begin to hear your questions, some of you, your questions around, Lord, why did it happen? Are you? 
you, are you really, are you really there? Everything that we thought we knew, is it, is it being shaken? I can feel it. And what happens then? It's like there's no faith. Because if I can't stand on God's word, if I'm unsure of this God I now ser- I'm serving, I can't have faith, can I? Because faith comes when we stand on his word. Faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. So my faith levels take a knock when I'm starting to question God, when I start to question his character, when I start to question his word. And that's what I could feel. And so God is calling us to say, you know what? It's okay to have questions, but don't question my word. Dig deeper in my word. Ask me the questions, but don't question my character and my nature. Amen. We can't allow it to paralyze our faith, to paralyze it in our walk with him. We have to keep walking through it. Amen. Okay. So, when something like this happens, so these are the types of questions that I think are in some people's hearts. Why did he allow it to happen? Why did Pastor Tuffy die? Why did this one die? Why did we lose this one? Why did, it have, why did this one have an accident? Why is this one sick? Why did God allow it to happen? Did he allow it to happen? Or was it the enemy who managed to take these people out? What, what, what about the immediate family left behind if God allowed it to happen? And if he allowed it to happen, is he really sovereign? And, and if, if it happened, then does prayer work? And, and why didn't he tell someone, come on, how many of you thought some of those questions at some, th- at some point? Yeah, you think those questions, right? And it's okay to think those questions. And, but, but the reality is that when we start thinking these questions, if we stay in that place, without realizing it, our neat little picture of God and of Christianity is disfigured in our minds. It's disfigured, hey? Suddenly things don't fit into the box that we've put them in before. And like Ravi says, Ravi Zacharias, he says, suddenly God is not who we thought he was. Suddenly God is not who we thought he ought to be. Suddenly we think he doesn't do things the way that we think he should or we think we thought he would. Amen. Pastor Tuffy was a pastor. We had certain expectations of God, you know? Okay? He has not lived up to our expectations. God hasn't lived up to our expectations. Some people find themselves in that place. Maybe they won't verbalize it. I'm verbalizing it for you, okay? At this point, if we allow it, our faith will be shaken. Our ability to pray faithful prayers can be completely eradicated, okay? Our trust in the nature of God, our understanding of his nature can be mangled. How can I boldly approach the throne of grace to find grace and mercy when I'm not fully sure who that God of grace and mercy is, or what his grace looks like now, or what his mercy really looks like, okay? What will, will he give me my picture of mercy and grace, or a different picture? Can I trust him? You know, when someone gets sick and passes on, and I think some of the unsaid thoughts revolve around, maybe his faith was weak, or maybe her faith was weak, or maybe the people who prayed for them, their faith was weak. Come on, you guys, I know you've thought those thoughts, Okay? I know you've thought those thoughts. Maybe she did something. Maybe she deserved it. Heaven forbid. I know, Christian, I know we think like that. She opened a door for the enemy. That must be it. She opened a door for the enemy. But we don't know. We don't know, do we? We can't judge, okay? Now, I'm glad you've been honest with me about thinking these things and asking these questions because we're going to explore it a little bit more. Genesis 2, verse 15 to 17. 
It says, Then the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden, Eden to tend and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in that day you eat of it, you shall surely die. Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Has God indeed said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden? Has God indeed said that? And then the woman responded and said, well, this is what God has said. And then the serpent says, well, you see, you will not surely die. God's word is not true. You won't surely die. For God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. You see, God is not who he says he is. God is not really true to his word. Can you see what the enemy did to Eve? Can you see what the enemy does at times like this? You know, when the enemy came and said this to Eve, she was alone. She wasn't with Adam. And at this type of time in our lives, any time of trauma or um, stress or sorrow or loss, very often what do people do? They withdraw and they become alone. Amen. Perfect opportunity for the enemy to come. Do you really believe God? Is God really who he says he is? What are you doing in this whole Christianity thing? Is God really faithful to your word? Are you really willing to bet your life on this word when this happened to Pastor Tuffy or this happened to your mom or your sister or your child? It's the enemy. It's his voice. Okay? The enemy comes and questions. We need to remember certain truths. Ravi Zacharias says this, More than half of John's gospel is given over to Jesus' suffering and purpose in coming to earth. When we bring children into the world, we wish them prosperity, we wish them health and success. None of us would wish them pain and suffering, would we, parents? No, we wouldn't. When God sent his son into the world, there was every intention and assurance of success of Jesus' purpose. But he came with the father's full knowledge and his full knowledge of the cost of that success. You know where I'm going, right? There was every intention and assurance of success, but he came with the full knowledge of the pain and the suffering that Jesus would walk in order to fully fulfill his purpose. For us to truly fathom this is to move into another paradigm of thinking. You see, when we pursuing the purposes of God, there may very well be pain in the process. Jesus was the perfect son of God. He was perfect, and he had perfect faith, and he still died when he was 33. He had perfect faith, and he still went through suffering. So we can't look at people and say, well, maybe it's their faith. That must be it. They didn't have enough faith. That's why they suffered and went through it. No. Well, Jesus suffered, and he had perfect faith. But he had faith, and he was suffering for his purpose. Amen. And he did. He was successful. In his life because he came to fulfill what God sent him for. You see, I think in the church we have to change our definition of success. Success for me doesn't look like success for you. Success for you is you fulfilling everything that God put you on this earth to fulfill. That's why we can't do anything we want to do. You can, you know, I was told as well, I think it's a wonderful sentiment. You can be anything you want to be when you grow up. Wonderful. But it's not true. Be who God made you to be. Do what God has put you on this earth to do. That's where there's grace. 
That's where there's fulfillment. That's where there's grace to walk through the suffering. And one day when you get to heaven, he'll say to you, well done, good and faithful servant. Why do we resist pain? We resist pain because pain debilitates and forces limitations on us. Jesus, however, willingly followed the path of pain because it would bring us healing and open new horizons for us. We resist pain because we think of the now rather than life's ultimate purpose. Jesus endured pain in order to restore ultimate purpose to us and our existence. We resist pain because we are drawn towards that which brings us comfort and a sense of well-being. Jesus experienced pain so that we would find our ultimate comfort and well-being in God and in doing his will. Jesus is our example. When Jesus came, he came to seek and save the lost. He didn't come to get a big fat bank account, to get a YouTube account, to get the most hits on YouTube, to have a big platform, to have a big following, to have a big name and lights and a TV ministry, or to have a whole big business and make a whole boatload of money to consume upon himself. He didn't do that. If he had done that, in the world's eyes, maybe he would have been successful. If he'd let the people make him a physical king, maybe in the world's eyes he would have been successful, but in God's eyes he would have been a failure. Amen. Thank you for the one amen. Somewhere over there. <laughs> okay. The, but Jesus, When Jesus prayed, he said, Lord, your kingdom come, your will be done. And that needs to be our heart. We need to grow up. Amen. We need to grow up as a church, charismatic church. We need to grow up and become mature. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Jesus suffered. In fact, in the Garden of Gethsemane, he fell down on his face. We're told and says, oh, my father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. If it is possible, he was sweating drops of blood. Come on, none of us have been in that excruciating stress where we've sweated drops of blood. And then he says, nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. See, sometimes the will of God takes us where it's uncomfortable and where it's difficult. Sometimes it's normal to feel pain, to cry out, to say, Lord, let this pass if possible. But at the end of that, after that, we have to say, nevertheless, Lord, not my will, but yours be done. And that is true worship, people. That is true worship. Having a good voice singing on a mic Yes, that can be true worship, but it can also be not, not true worship. Your will be done. Obedience. Listen to this. 1 Peter 1, verse 6 to 8. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials, that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold than perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to the praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen you love, though now you do not see him, yet believing You rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Sometimes we go through trials, okay? Let's look at Paul. We've looked at Jesus. Let's look at Paul. Some examples in the New Testament. He was a murderer and God called him to be used powerfully. Wonderful example of grace. He penned a large portion of the New Testament. What an honor, you might say, right? An honor. But let's see what... What he enjoyed, endured, sorry, 2 Corinthians 11. 
Are they servants of Christ? I know I sound like a madman, but I have served Jesus far more. I have worked harder, been put in prison more often, been whipped times without number. I've faced, faced death again and again. Five different times the Jewish leaders gave me 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. Once I spent a whole night and a day adrift at sea. I have traveled on many long journeys. I have faced danger from rivers and from robbers. I have faced danger from my own people, the Jews, as well as from the Gentiles. I face danger in the cities, in the deserts, and on the seas. And I face danger from men who claim to be believers but are not. I have worked hard and long, enduring many sleepless nights. I have been hungry and thirsty and have often gone without food. I have shivered in the cold without enough clothing to keep me warm. It's very quiet in here. Our charismatic prosperity message is crippling the church, I think. It's crippling the church. Yes, prosperity is part of Christianity, but we have to be aware that there's also another side where we can go through tough times. And if we go through tough times, it doesn't mean that we're a weak Christian. Maybe God is wanting to make us stronger. Or maybe bad things happen to good people. It wasn't God's intention, but he'll use it anyway and make us strong through it all. Amen. If we'll let him. Paul was faithful to the call of God upon his life. He was sorely persecuted. And guess how he died? He was beheaded in Rome in AD 69, murdered. Okay? Let's look. I just want to look at a few other people in the New Testament who were strong Christians, who were godly men and women and what they endured. Can I do that? Okay. John the Baptist, he was the way maker for Christ. He was the one who made the way for Christ. He was beheaded at the command of Herod Antipas at AD 32. We know about Jesus Christ. He gave his life. He was sacrificed. Stephen, my husband mentioned Stephen, one of the seven deacons of the church at Jerusalem, stoned without, uh, at the gate of the city, AD 34, shortly after the death of Christ. James, the son of Zebedee, put to death by the sword. AD 45, Apostle Philip, bound with his head to a pillar and stoned to death. AD 54, James, the brother of Christ, beaten to death, stoned, beaten with a club to death. AD 63, Barnabas, you know Barnabas? Companion of the Apostle Paul, dragged and burned alive. Mark, the evangelist, the author of Mark in the New Testament, dragged and he died. He dragged until he, was, until he died, okay, dragged by horses. Apostle Peter, Simon Peter, crucified with his head upside, upside down under Nero. Epaphras, a fellow prisoner of Paul, slain under Nero about AD 70. Four friends of, of Paul were martyred. You know, Priscilla, Aquila, Junia, and Andronicus. Priscilla and Junia were those, those a mighty women in Acts. They were martyred in Rome. Silas, scourged and martyrs. He's also known as Silvanus. He was, an apostle, uh, he was a ministry partner to the apostle Paul. Scourged at Philippi in Macedonia and died a martyr. The other people, Andrew, the Holy Apostle, Holy Apostle crucified at Patras in Achaia about AD 70. Bartholomew, tortured, beheaded. Thomas, you know doubting Thomas? Tormented with red-hot plates, cast into a furnace, and his side was pierced with spears. Matthew, author of the, uh, the, the, the uh, Gospel of Matthew, nailed to the ground and beheaded. AD 70. Simon. And Judas, both slain for the truth of Christ. 
Matthias stoned and beheaded. You know Matthias, he was the guy who replaced Judas Iscariot. Stoned and beheaded. Luke, the evangelist who penned the, the gospel, Luke, hanged on a green olive tree in Greece. Antipas, the faithful witness of Jesus Christ, burned in a red-hot brazen fire. Apostle John, he was banished. We know about that. He was banished to the Isle of Patmos. Timothy, you know Paul's son in the Lord, who he wrote, Paul wrote 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy 2. He was stoned to death. So all these people went through difficult things. How many of you know when you are martyred, you're stoned to death, you are banished? Those things are tough, right? I think in terms of in, on, the, on, the grad, on the scale from 0 to 100, those things are probably at about 100, you know? So you might say to me, well, what does this have to do with loss, with losing Pastor Tuffy, with dealing with difficult things? Well, it has nothing, but it also has everything to do with it. It has nothing to do with it, but it has everything because how we process it has to be in the light of the complete counsel of the Word of God. Because guess what, people? Bad things happen to Christians. And bad things can happen to charismaniac Christians like you and I. And that's the reality, okay? The processing of our difficulties and challenges needs to be filtered through the word. You're facing rejection. Well, Jesus faced the ultimate rejection. You're facing misunderstanding. You're in good company. I think most of God's prophets face misunderstanding. Facing other challenges. James instructs us in James 1, verse 2 to 4. He says, Consider it nothing but joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you fall into various trials. Be assured that the testing of your faith through experience produces endurance, leading to spiritual maturity. See, we've got a choice right now in the middle of difficulties. Do we allow it to make us more mature in our walk with the Lord? Do we allow it? Do we allow the Lord to use it to increase our endurance? Or do we allow it to drive us from the very one in whose arms lies the only answer, which is Jesus? Be assured that the testing of your faith through experience produces endurance, leading to spiritual maturity and inner peace. And let endurance have its perfect result and do a thorough work. Endurance having its perfect result and doing a thorough work means that we're going to have to endure some things, right? Right? Okay. So why? So that you may be perfect and completely developed in your faith, lacking nothing. See, it's, it's fine to question. We're going to question. It's fine to question, but let's question the right things. Let's question the things that need to be questioned. The Word of God is sure. Maybe your understanding of the Word of God is limited, but the Word of God is a sure foundation. I want to encourage you, if you have questions, dig into the Word. Don't question the nature of God. The Word of God teaches us that God is good. He is good. He knows what He's about. We live in a fallen world. If there are questions, let them drive you into the arms of God and into the Word. Listen to the Apostle Paul. In everything we do, we show that we are true ministers of God. We patiently endure troubles and hardships and calamities of every kind. We have been beaten, been put in prison, faced angry mobs, worked to exhaustion, endured sleepless nights, and gone without food. We prove ourselves by our purity, our understanding, our patience, our kindness, by the Holy Spirit within us, and by our sincere love. We faithfully preach the truth. 
God's power is working in us. We use the weapons of righteousness in the right hand for attack and the left for defense. We serve God whether people honor us or despise us, whether they slander us or praise us. We are honest, but they call us imposters. We are ignored even though we are well known. We live close to death, but we are still alive. We have been beaten, but we have not been killed. Our hearts ache, but we always have joy. Isn't that beautiful? Our hearts ache, but we always have joy. We are poor, but we give spiritual riches to others. We own nothing, yet we have everything. See, the question isn't whether difficult times will come. We can't faith ourselves out of difficult times. The question is, what will you do when they do come? They will come. That's the reality. Okay? That's the reality. What will you, do? What will you choose? What attitude will you adopt? What voice will you listen to? What voice will you be to others? Will you entertain challenges to the word of God and the truth of the word of God? It was never God's intention, people, for there to be death and dying, sickness and suffering in the world. It was never his intention. God is not the author of these things. How did they enter the world? When man fell, right? When God created the world, there was no death, there was no sickness, there was no dying, there was no suffering. The world was perfect. I want to read an excerpt by, from a children's book by J. John. You know, I love some children's book and how they explain things. This is what it says. Listen up. Are you listening? Okay. Why do people die before they are old? Death is the name we give to a very confusing part of life. We know that plants die in winter. We know that animals die too. We can understand that this is the way nature works. But it is much harder to understand why people die, especially someone we love. The Bible is clear that dying is something that wasn't what God wanted for human beings. Death happened because human beings decided to disobey God and do what they wanted. The result of that disobedience is that people died. In the Bible, however, we are promised that one day there will be a heaven for God's people in which there will be no more death. That is incredible. In the meantime, we all have to realize that our time on earth is limited, and the best thing to do is to make the most of it by doing what God wants. God wants us to love him and to love other people. God wants us to love him and to love other people. The big issue is not whether you live a long life or a short life, but whether you live the best life possible. Amen. So Adam sinned, sin entered the world, and death spread to everyone. I want to read Romans 5 a bit, Romans 5 verse 12, from verse 12 onwards. Now Adam is a symbol, a representation of Christ who is yet to come. But there's a great difference between Adam's sin and God's gracious gift. For the sin of this one man, Adam, brought death to many. But even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of forgiveness to many through this other man, Jesus Christ. And the result of God's gracious gift is very different from the result of that one man's sin. For Adam's sin led to condemnation, but God's free gift leads to our being made right with God, even though we were guilty of many sins. For the sin of this one man, Adam, caused death to rule over many, but even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of righteousness for all who receive it. We will live in triumph over sin and death through this one man, Jesus Christ. Yes, Adam's one sin brings condemnation for everyone and brings death. But Jesus, 
Christ's one act of righteousness brings a right relationship with God and new life for everyone. Because one person disobeyed God, many became sinners. But because one other person obeyed God, many will be made righteous. You know what I find so encouraging about that? God already knew what was going to happen before the foundation of the world. And he already knew that he was going to have to send his son to make propitiation for our sins. He already knew and he was already willing to do that because he loves us. So God's love at the end of the day always triumphs. God's love in our lives, no matter what we're going through, will always triumph. Okay, so I've looked a little bit at where we're at or where you are at if you are in a space of going through something difficult. But I'm wanting to shift our focus now a little bit, where I'm at to where am I going, okay? Where am I going? Where are we going? Where are we going? Listen to this, Romans 8 verse 18 from suffering to glory. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which will be revealed in us. We are confident, yes, well pleased, rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 8 to 11. Therefore, we make it our aim, whether present or absent, to be well-pleasing to him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or evil. You see, one day, whatever happens on earth, it's happened for Pastor Tuffy, but whatever happens on earth for us, whether we died 40, 60, 80, 100 150, one day we're going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And no, he's not going to look at our sins because if we're born again, we know that our sins are covered in the blood. But he's going to examine our deeds, our thoughts, and our motives. And they're going to be examined and they're going to go through fire. And only those things that are done, that are worth, that are gold and silver and precious stones will stand and the rest will be burned up. And so we have to live our lives here whenever we go through whatever we're going through with that in mind, that I'm accountable for my calling. My husband is not accountable for my calling. My husband is your friend, your father, your mother, no matter what they did to you, your auntie, your uncle, they're not responsible for your calling. Maybe you went through something difficult. Maybe you were molested as a child and you can't break free from that. There's a shame that's holding you back. You know what? At the end of the day, yes, they did that to you, but they're not responsible for your calling. You are. Whatever we go through, I am responsible for me. Say, I am responsible for me. I am responsible for my attitude. I am responsible for what voices I listen to. I am responsible for digging in the Word. Ooh, I think you can preach my message for me. Okay? 1 Corinthians 4 verse 5 says, So don't make judgments about anyone ahead of time before the Lord returns, for He will bring our darkest secrets to light, and He will reveal our private motives. Then we'll get, God will give to each one whatever praise is due. See, one day we're going to stand before the throne and God doesn't judge like we judge. The Bible says that his thoughts are not our thoughts, his ways are not our ways. Our ways are not his ways, our thoughts are not his thoughts, whichever way around it is. Basically, he doesn't think like we do. He's not going to judge like we do. When, Dave, when, when, when um, the prophet Samuel went to anoint the next king, God said to him, the Lord doesn't look at the external appearance. The Lord looks at the heart. When God looks at you, what is he seeing? When he looks at your life, are you living? Are you weighed down and stuck 
in your current place of suffering? Or are you lifting your eyes and saying, Lord, you know what? Despite and in spite of everything I'm going through, I know it's difficult. I know it's tough, but I'm still going to live for you. I'm still going to stand on your word, and I'm still going to honor you as God. I may not understand you, but you know what? How do we think finite beings can honestly understand an infinite God? Are we really so arrogant to think that we will one day have complete understanding when we are on this earth of our infinite God? We won't, okay? But it's to choose to say, Lord, I will still with what I'm going through, honor you as God. I will still live for you. I will live right, and I will live for one day when I stand before your judgment seat. I want to get a reward from you, Lord. Amen. One day when we stand there, we're told in Hebrews 6 that when Jesus, um, okay, sorry, let me backtrack a bit. What we do with the cross determines where we spend eternity, right? So first of all, we have to be saved. So if you're sitting here and you haven't received the Lord Jesus as your Lord and Savior, that's the first step. What we do with the cross determines where we spend eternity. But what we do as believers, how we live as believers, determines how we spend eternity. There are different levels in heaven, guys. There are big mansions and big crowns. And there are those who will be saved as through fire with the clothes on their back smelling like smoke and nothing else, okay? There are people who are close to the throne, and there are people who are far, they have to watch God maybe on one of those screens, <laughs> okay? <laughs> okay, so how we spend eternity is determined how we live on earth. And in Hebrews 6, it tells us that these judgments that are made when we stand before the judgment seat, they're not revised. They're forever judgments, so when you stand there and he gives you, asks you to give an account of what you did with your calling, of what you did, with what you had, even through all the difficulties you went through, when you stand there, he's a just judge. He doesn't compare you to anyone else. That judgment that he makes, it's a forever judgment, according to Hebrews. It remains forever. How many of you know forever is quite a long time? So if you're saved as by fire and you're on the outskirts smelling like smoke, you may remain in that position. I don't know what type of house, you know, Jesus prepared rooms for us. I don't know what your room will look like, okay? But I, I don't want to live like that. I want to use this time wisely, whatever I go through. Amen. Whatever I go through. 1 Corinthians 3 verse 9 to 15 says, for we, are God's, for we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field. You are God's building. According to the grace of God, which was given to me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation and, other, and another builds on it. But let each one take heed how he builds. For no other foundation can, any, can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become clear. For that day will de declare it, for it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test each one's work. These are, this is Christians, not un unsaved people. But these are Christians, okay, of what sort it is. If anyone's work which he has built on it endures through the fire, he will be, receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, yet so as through fire. Okay. So I don't want to be one of those. My works pff, go up in a cloud of smoke. Sorry. Cloud of smoke. And I'm saved as through fire, the clothes on my back and nothing else. Forever. No. Okay. 
We can determine this. We are all builders. We've all been called to build something. Every single person has a purpose. Every single person, okay? There are works that every single person has been called to do. Say, there are works that only I can do. But you know what? God is gracious. If you fail to do the things he's given you to do, he will raise up someone else. Like the Lord said to Esther, Yet you have been born for such a time as this. But if you do not arise, salvation will rise up from somewhere else. But I want to encourage you, the thing that God put you on this earth to do, that is the thing that will fulfill you more than anything else. That is the thing where there will be grace more than anything else. That is the thing where there will be God's provision because he always provides for his vision. It doesn't exclude you from suffering. It doesn't exclude you from going through difficult times. But there will be grace and there will be joy inexpressible even though your heart aches. Amen. 1 Corinthians 9 verse 24 says, Do you not know that those who run in a race all run but one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you obtain it. Guess what? We're running in a race. But each of us has our own race. Isn't that great? You're going to win your race if you're just obedient. Hallelujah. Okay? You don't have to get there the quickest. You're going to win it if you're just obedient. I love that. Just obedient. He, Hebrews 12 verse 1 to 3 says, Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. For the joy set before him endured suffering, despising shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. Let's look to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Amen. He has gone through what we, what we go through. He's gone through worse. He's a perfect high priest and that he can fully identify with what we're walking through. If you look at history, C.S. Lewis says this, if you read history, you will find that the Christians who did the most for the present world were precisely those who thought the most of the next. It is since Christians have largely ceased to think of the other world that they've become so ineffective in this one. And you see, it's a trap. Can I, should I read that again? If you read history, you'll find that Christians who did the most for the present world were precisely those who thought the most of the next. It is since Christians have largely ceased to think of the other world, that's heaven, that they become so effective in this one. Why? Because we're living for the now. We're living for my bank account. We're living for my name. We're living for my this and my that and my calling and my comfort and my house and my holiday home. And what I want and we become ineffective in the purposes of God. Jesus teaches us to seek first his kingdom and all those things. Those things aren't bad. Those are great. But we seek first his kingdom. We seek first running our race that he's given us. And those things are added to us. Amen. 2 Peter 1 verse 10 says, Brothers and sisters, make every effort to be sure of your calling and election. Make every effort. Do you know what God has put you on this earth for? Do you have an idea of your gifts? Do you have an idea of, and it's often linked to passions and things that we're passionate about. Callings are not always linked directly to standing behind a pulpit or ministering in church on Sundays. You know that, right? 
You know, people are called to business. People are called to health, science, technology. People are called to different spheres of life. But we have to understand what we're called to. How many of you know you can't run in a race if you don't know what race you're running in? You can't run and, and win a race if you're not too sure of the route. You have to at least know where you're going. You know, for SA champs, SA South African triathlon champs this year in Durban, I went to compete. And there wasn't time for me to check out the bike course beforehand. And you know what happened? I made a mistake on the bike course and I had to withdraw my entry because I would have got a silver medal and it would have been, wouldn't have been fair to the person, you know, the other people behind me. So I had to go and say to the referee, you know what, I made an error. And he said, well, no one has complained, it's fine. I said, no, but I'll know. And I had to withdraw. You have to know the route. Otherwise, you can be disqualified. You'll have to withdraw from the race, <laughs> okay? We have to know what we're called to. Our race is a path that includes works that God has prepared for us to do, whether they're public or whether they're private, whether it's for everyone to see or just for God to see. And these are different for different people. For grace you have been saved through faith and not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship. Say, I am his workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus. For good works. You are. And guess what? It says here that God prepared them beforehand that we should just walk in them. We don't have to jump through hoops to do them. It comes naturally, whatever race God has called us to. And I love the scripture in 2 Corinthians 10. It says, For we dare not class ourselves or compare ourselves with those who commend themselves, but they, measuring themselves by themselves and comparing themselves among themselves, are not wise. When we compare ourselves, we are foolish because God made me different to how he made you. I can't, comp can't compare myself to Uncle Loisy over there, and I'm trying to be an Uncle Loisy and run around and do all the things that he does in church on Sunday, and that's foolish, isn't it? I can't try and be my husband or even compete with him. No. He is Paul, and I am Tracy. He's got his grace, and I've got my grace. I must do what I'm called to. You are called to do what God has called you to do, and you know what? Maybe in your, you're in a place right now where you feel a bit frustrated. Pray about it. Say, Lord, I don't think I'm where I need to be. Give me revelation, Lord. I want to run the race that you've put me on this earth for, and he'll speak to you, and maybe it's not about changing where you are and what you do. It's about changing your attitude and what you do while you're doing what you do. I've been in situations where I'm coming in, you know, places, and it's, it's really not great, you know, it's not my primary calling, you know, but I said, you know what, Lord, I'm called to pray, I love prayer, I believe in the power of prayer, so you know what, as I'm looking at these files, at this, you know, lodge, you know, a particular lodge where they re do rehabilitate drug addicts and whatever, Lord, I'm going to pray for each name I see here, you know what, it's not my primary purpose, but I'm doing something that I'm called to do, even though it's not my passion to sit there and dispense medicine for people. Do you know what I mean? There are things that we can do to make the best of where we act that are part of our race. And I think God loves that type of heart. But don't compare yourself. Please don't compare yourself with me. Okay? You might feel like you're really doing great when you compare yourself with me. But maybe in God's eyes, you're only fulfilling half your potential. Amen. 
We need to do the things God has made us to do. Yes, and understand, sometimes it will be difficult, but that's the thing he's going to look at one day when we reach heaven. Do the things that count. Have his values in our heart. Live our lives like tomorrow might be the last day. So we treat our family. We treat our relationships. We see things the way God sees them. Amen. Psalm 139 says, For you, Lord, formed my inward parts. You covered me in my mother's womb. I'll praise you, for I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works. My soul knows this very well. My frame, say my frame, was not hidden from you, Lord. It wasn't. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secrets, secrets and skillfully wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Your eyes saw my substance being yet unformed. And listen to this. In your book, they were all written, the days fashioned for me when there were none of them. In your book, Lord, the days were fashioned for me. Now, it doesn't mean that I'm an automated robot and I do exactly what he wrote in his book. No. But the days were written for me and things will come during the days and I'll have choice. I'll have choice because love gives choice. That's what love is all about. So there's always choice in life. Do we pursue this that we know is our calling, our race, or do we pursue something else? And tomorrow, God is gracious. His mercies are new. But what are we choosing day by day? He has works for us to do. They're written in his book. And God knows and do we know? Do you know? All flesh is grass, all its loveliness like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades because the breath of the Lord blows on it. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of God stands forever. I'm, I'm coming to a close. James 4 verse 14 says, you do not know what will happen tomorrow, for what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time and vanishes away. Your life is a little, I love how John Bevere puts it. He says that any finite number divided by infinity is zero. So if you live to be 80 years old, and we consider that a full life, right? You divide it by infinity, you get zero. If you live to be 40 years old and you divide it by infinity, it's zero. If you live to be 150 years old, you divide it by infinity, it's still zero. What is he saying? He's saying that our time on earth, whether we live 40 years, 80 years, 100 years, to us it makes a difference, but to eternity, it's minuscule. It's insignificant. Do you get that? Our time here is very little. If I said to you, your next one day, would determine how you live the next 100,000 years, how would you live today? You better bet your bottom dollar you would have a good day, right? <laughs> Maybe I'd see the whole church soul-willing people out there. I don't know. But 100,000 years, that's like way, way back before Christ, before Moses, before, you know, maybe Adam and Eve. You know what I mean? But we've got even longer than that in eternity and how we're living now determines that. Psalm 90 says, teach us to realize the brevity of life, that we can grow in wisdom. Okay. Last scripture, John, 2 John 1 verse 8. Look to yourselves that we do not lose those things we worked for, but that we may receive a full reward. Are you going to receive a full reward? Why are you living? Why did God put you here on earth? question. What are you called to do? Ask that question because we won't be judged according to what we did in life, but rather what we were called to do in life. 
Imagine with me standing before the throne of God and a scenario like this occurred. Evangelist Anderson, come forth and give an account of your stewardship on earth. E evangelist Anderson, I, I'm not an evangelist. I, I, I'm an accountant. I, 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 I had an accounting firm. I had an evangelist Anderson. Where are the 347,566 souls I called you to impact in Asia, son? Where are they? I, I, I'm, an, I, I'm an accountant. I, I had an accounting firm. I, I, I help churches. I help ministries with their, their, their finances. Son, where are the 347,566 souls in Asia I called you to impact? Son, where are they? Had you sought me, had you sought my face, I would have revealed this to you. And everything in regards to that man's calling was burnt up before the judgment seat of Christ. Accountant Jones, step forward and give an account of your stewardship. Accountant Jones? No, no I'm not. I pastor for 35 years. I, a membership of 750 people, Accountant Jones. I called you to the marketplace. Had you done this, you would have significantly impacted two people. You and those two men would have helped churches with their finances, and those churches would have impacted 751,321 souls. If you would have sought me, I I would have revealed this to you. And again, in regards to this man's calling, everything he's done in life would be burnt up before the judgment seat of Christ. Sister Smith, come forth and give an account of your stewardship. my hardest to raise my children in your way. Sister Smith, I never called you to preach the nations. I never called you to go to other countries on missionary trips. I called you to raise three children. And let me show you the 1,579,541 souls those three children impacted. You sought me and you heard my voice. You were obedient to my call. Well done. My good and faithful servant, enter into the joy of your Lord. So remember, in regards to the calling that's on your life, 
you won't be judged according to what you did. You will be judged according to what you were called to do. We have a choice this morning. I mean, we have a choice every day, but we have a choice. We can, at this moment in our lives, make it an opportunity where we reevaluate the values by which we live, where we reevaluate what we're living for and how we're living. And maybe you don't know your calling. You don't really know why you were put on earth. I'm going to give you an opportunity to pray a prayer to God of commitment, of consecration and trusting Him to reveal that to you. Or maybe you know and you've digressed from what he called you to, from what he's put in your heart and in your hands. I'll, give, I'll pray for you too. And the last one is for those who want to reiterate that, yes, Lord God, I'm wanting to live for you. I'm wanting to run the race that you've given me. We're going to pray the same prayer, but you might fall into a different category. And, and if you fall into any of those categories, I want you to lift up your hands to the Lord as a um, just an act of surrender, a symbol of surrender. Just lift up your hands and pray this prayer with me. Just turn your palms outwards. Lord, you see your people who are responding to you. And Lord, this morning we say that we want to live for you, for your reward. We're wanting to live for those words where you say, well done, good and faithful servant. Father, for each one here, I pray that you would bring greater clarity to the reason why you've put them on this earth, the reason why they are here, Lord God. Greater clarity, Lord God, of what they can do now and where they can go, where they're going. Father, for those who've fallen away, who've gotten distracted, or maybe, maybe they've gotten ensnared by the sin that so easily entangles. Father, we, this morning we acknowledge this and say we repent of this. Have mercy on us, Lord God. Lord, we know that difficult times come, that suffering comes. Lord, we want to still stand even when it's hard, we want to pursue you and pursue your calling and run the race that you've called us to, even when it's hard. And Lord, for those of us who've maybe just grown weary in doing what we know to do, I pray this morning for a strength, even as we all consecrate ourselves to you as a church, to grow up and, and, and endure and stand and fulfill the thing that you've put inside of us for you, to take hold of that thing for which you took hold of us. There's some of you here this morning and you're struggling with certain sins, certain sins, habitual sins. And for some of you, the calling on your life is great. And the Lord is saying to you this morning that he sees you, that his mercy is new. But there's a sin that easily ensnares and entangles, and that's the thing that will hinder you. You really want to run your race, but there's something that is pulling you back. And Lord wants to encourage you this morning to seek help, to speak to someone about it. Sometimes we need people to come alongside us. If you struggle with sexual sin, if you struggle with pornography... If you struggle with alcohol, with any addiction, if you're struggling with something, please speak to someone, someone of the same sex. And Father God, we pray this morning that you will release a grace upon us to fulfill our callings. We love you. We want to grow up into maturity in you.
We want to fulfill everything that you have for us. Father, forgive us where we've compared ourselves amongst ourselves. Help us to delight in our differences. We thank you for your presence with us. We thank you, Lord God, for your hand upon us. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Hey, E-Family, online family, that was a great message, wasn't it? We really want to fill the globe with all this teaching. Our passion is to raise leaders and release reformers. So if you want to tap into more of these teachings, you can go to www.gochurch.co.za. And I think you'll really be refreshed and reformed as you go through our materials. Well, if you enjoyed that message, click subscribe and also share with your friends, with your enemies. Don't forget... We've got the live feed that takes place 9.30 every Sunday morning.